0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then the man went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed And received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Judeans did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself." His parents said this because they were afraid of the Judeans, for the Judeans had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind, If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. I think that's the second longest gospel <laughs> lection of the year. And it starts, John starts the gospel story, if you can remember that far back, with a deceptively straightforward sentence. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. Yet, as simple as it is in some respects, this sentence may be the most important one in the whole lesson. Jesus saw the man suffering from blindness. Of all the things Jesus had on his mind that day, of all the people clamoring for his attention, of all the preaching and teaching that needed doing, Jesus nevertheless took the time, made the effort to notice this man by the roadside, a man who no one else really sees. In the eyes of his peers, the man is unclean, a burden, expendable. In his community's calculus of human worth, he barely counts as a human being. He is blind after all. A creature of darkness, someone of little use to others. He perhaps is even a little dangerous. Which is why, by the way, when the man's sight is restored by Jesus, his own townspeople, the people he has lived with for years, don't even recognize him. They don't know how to see him without his disability. To do so would be to recognize a common humanity a bond, a kinship, and that would be intolerable. Even Jesus' own disciples are not quite prepared to notice this man as a human being. In their questioning of Jesus at the outset of the story, they assume that his blindness must be his own fault. Thus they ask Jesus, who has sinned and incurred this punishment from God, the man himself? or his parents. This was, of course, the prevailing theology of disability. The diseased and disabled should be shunned, for they are only getting what they deserve. Jesus, however, rejects the entire premise of the question. There is no relationship between this man's condition and his sinfulness, Jesus says. God does not make people sick in order to punish them. To step away from our brother or sister's suffering because we assume it is divinely ordained is misguided at best, heartless at worst. And so Jesus fully sees the man born blind. Indeed, he not only sees him, he reaches out, touches him, And with the saliva from his own mouth and the earth from his Father's creation, Jesus heals the man and restores his sight. In listening to healing stories from the Gospels, have you ever noticed how often the power of Jesus' healing is mediated by touch? When the man with leprosy in Matthew 8 kneels before Jesus and asks to be made clean, Jesus, quote, reaches out and touches him. When Jesus sees Peter's mother-in-law in bed with a fever, the first thing he does is to touch her hand, and the fever leaves her. When Jesus is approached by the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, what does she yearn for more than anything? She just wants to touch the edge of his cloak, saying, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. When the ruler comes to Jesus wailing over the apparent death of his daughter and pleads with Jesus to do something, Jesus does not preach to the man, but instead he goes to the daughter and takes her by the hand, thereby giving her new life. What the Gospels teach time and time again is that Jesus establishes his identity not so much by telling others that he is God as by showing them. Jesus touches the untouchable with his compassionate hands and embraces the unloved with arms that welcome everyone. Our God is not some distant and indifferent observer who merely watches us suffer from afar. Rather, in Jesus, God becomes one of us so that he can share our humanity, touch our vulnerability, heal our brokenness, and in the end make us whole again. In today's text, there were some for whom this was just too much. The religious leaders viewed this intimate healing scene between Jesus and the man born blind as a violation of the rules. For one thing, it happened on the Sabbath, and Sabbath means no work, full stop. Jesus should know that. For another thing, those who are unclean are especially to be avoided on a holy day and certainly aren't first in line for a rabbi's care. Now, perhaps these leaders felt their power was being threatened by this young rabbi's challenging ways. Or perhaps they quite legitimately were seeking to protect the holiness of the day. But in either case, they had forgotten the purpose of the Sabbath to restore us to health, to bring us back into community with one another and with God, to make us fully alive again. As Jesus teaches elsewhere, humanity was not created to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to serve humanity. In truth, however, today's gospel story is really less about the healing of the man born blind than it is about the spiritual blindness of everybody else. Did you notice that John's account of the physical healing of the man takes only a verse or two to tell? The bulk of the text that goes on and on and on, and the real story has to do with the refusal of the community to see and accept what has happened by doubting the man's testimony, by questioning his parents, by manufacturing one reason after another for why this reported healing by Jesus just couldn't have happened the way they said it did. The religious leaders are quite sure they know how God works, and this upstart rabbi must be a fraud. The irony, of course, is that they are the ones who are blind, proving yet again that one of the most barren and desolate places we religious folk can occupy is a place of smugness and self-righteous certainty. The more convinced we are that we have full insight, comprehension, and knowledge into God's ways, the less likely we are to actually know God. Moreover, self-righteousness also often prevents us from feeling fully and appreciating fully the power of God's work in our midst. Notice this fact in our story. No one rejoices when the man is healed. No one, not even the man's parents, expresses joy or wonder or gratitude or awe. No one says, I'm so happy for you or ask, what is it like to see for the first time? Does the sunlight hurt your eyes? What are you excited to look at first? Instead, the community feels only contempt, putting its need to preserve religious order ahead of celebrating a fellow human being's restoration to life. Who's blind? And herein lies one of the paradoxes of the story. Those who think they can see are, in fact, blind, and those who acknowledge their blindness are the ones who can see. One of the most dangerous spiritual places that we can live, it turns out, is in the deluded notion that we are fully sighted, spiritually speaking. And conversely, one of the healthiest places to live is humbly to accept that we cannot clearly see on our own, relying instead on our faith to guide us. As the old Easter hymn puts it, we walk by faith and not by sight. Doubting Thomas, remember that. One of the overarching themes of all four Gospels is that Jesus' true identity eludes just about everyone until after his resurrection. Even his own closest disciples struggle to understand who Jesus really is and what it may mean to call him Messiah. Most of the people who encountered Jesus are too busy seeing what they want to see, a magician, a heretic, A political revolutionary, a carpenter's son, a sage, a phony, a clerical threat. They don't notice what the blind man, free of all such filters, discerns by the end of the story. By the end of the story, the blind man alone recognizes Jesus as the Son of Man and calls him Lord. So if I had to sum up what I take away from the Gospel this morning, it would be these three insights. First, Jesus notices each and every one of us. No one is beyond his gaze. And in particular, Jesus sees us in our struggles, our pain, our suffering, and maybe especially in our blindness. Second. Jesus not only sees us, but he reaches out to touch us precisely where we hurt and need healing most. He wants to open not merely our eyes, but our hearts to God's presence. And finally, the one and maybe the only thing that keeps us from receiving the fullness of his mercy is our own stubborn refusal to acknowledge our blindness, insisting instead that we know better, that we have it all figured out, and that we're okay on our own. And it is precisely here, it is precisely here, I submit, in overcoming our pride that we may need God's help the most. Pray with me. Almighty God, to whom our needs are known before we ask, help us to ask only what accords with your will. And those good things which we dare not or in our blindness cannot ask, grant us, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.